Hello and welcome to Now Spinning Magazine and this is the podcast with me, Phil Aston. And on this episode, I'm absolutely delighted to have with me legendary drummer Chester Thompson. Now, Chester's played with Weather Report, Frank Zappa, Genesis, Steve Hackett, Santana, Phil Collins, anyone you can think of. And also, Chester comes from the era of drummers like Billy Cobham, Alphonse Muzon, Lenny White, Tony Williams the jazz greats and wow. Chester has got a brand new album out um, called wake up call, which I've been listening to um, for the last few days and I absolutely love it. So mm-hmm. welcome Chester. And ha- oh, thank you very how much. How are you doing? I'm good, Phil. How are you, man? I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Now this new album. I, I got to say, I'm loving this wall behind you, all the vinyl and the CD, you know, Oh man, it's well. Like, well, it's, I, I could get I could get lost in your room. I, I see a little <laughs> black market in seconds out down there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'm going to I'm going to touch on those uh, a bit later on because they are two of my favourite records. And the fact that I'm oh, I'm able to talk to you um, is is such a great honour. And and it's wonderful, as I say, to be talking to you. But this new album, which I correct me if I'm wrong, the the kind of seeds were sown during the lockdown, weren't they? Yeah, it, it was totally done during the lockdown. It was, I've never done anything quite like it, but it turned out to be a lot of fun. Kept me sane during the lockdown, during the lockdown, actually, you know. So you, because the album was recorded um, kind of remotely with you sending the drum tracks over to your collaborators on bass and keyboards. Is that right? That's, that is correct. Um, yeah, they, they were my first band, um, you know, we had a band in the 80s, uh, sort of 82, 83, around that. And we sort of did things between Genesis and Field Tours, which meant we were, didn't have a lot of time together. But, but when the band was formed, we started as a bunch of friends just jamming together, which led to writing, which led to forming a proper band and doing gigs. And then suddenly it was time for me to go again. So unfortunately, I was gone. I don't remember which tour it was, but I was gone most of that year. And so by the time I got back, they had obviously had to find other things to do. But we've always been really dear friends and have stayed in touch. So at the start of COVID, it was just, you know, just sort of checking in how you're doing all that, which led to me sending them a drum track, which I thought they were just going to jam along with something to do other than a drum machine. But they wrote these uh, crazy melodies and parts around it and sent it back to me. I was stunned. I was just really just absolutely loving what they did. Um, they knew me. Well, they still know me very well musically, maybe maybe more than anybody else. And uh, when I asked them, how, how did you come up with this? Their response was, well, you led it. We just went where you led. And it was like, which was very flattering, but it still freaked me out. <laughs> And that that would have been track three on the album, um, Hide and Seek. Which is okay. actually one of my favourites. Oh, great. Yeah, great. The, the, I mean, uh, I'll come to this later, but that is one of my favourites because that's it. Is it Robert Hill on bass, is it? Is that? Yeah, well, we call him Pee Wee, but, but of course, he's, he's the requisite, requisite six foot four to be called Pee Wee, right? <laughs> <laughs> But I guess his family, everybody had nicknames, you know. Because he's he's playing, just locks in with you so well. I love that kind of slap bass. Really, it's just such a groove, isn't it? Um, That that particular track is so joyous and so uplifting. Oh, great, great, thank you. And so the second one was track number two, right? So which is, um, yeah, you know, 
you know, so the, that's the, the more like I say, they, after the first one, I thought, well, let me send you another one. But I thought, let's do something completely different. So I sat down a, a bit of a six, eight groove and sent that. And boy, what Michiko came up with his wife, I was really blown away on that one. And it, it, it took the better part of a year, probably went spilled into the next year, actually, because as things started to open up a bit, they started getting busy and, and I started having a few things to do as well. And so we we just kept at it until we till we had it completed, and then it's like, oh wait a minute, we have a whole album here. Let's let's do something, you know. And thanks to Mark Monforti over at Prog Rock Essentials, because I ended up going out with the Unitopia, which was was a really fun project as well. Mm-hmm. And he was he heard it and thought, man, we'd really like to have this available on tour as merch, and, and like to put it out on the album that the group is on. So on the label rather and. Yeah, that's that's how it came about. Because it because you so you if I've, again if I got this right, you sent over like your drum your drum track. Yeah, not, it, nothing but they, nothing they, but the drum track. Well, there were there were a couple other songs where I did send a melody that ah, I was hearing, right. and she developed those and, and you know, harmonized them and all of that. But most of it, I'd say eighty percent of it is just me sending over just a drum track when I play alone. Um, I don't think of myself as much of a soloist. I mean, I've had to do it a million times over the years, but but whenever I do play alone drums, I'm hearing melodies in my head. I'm not I'm not really thinking drums. I think tend to think a bit more melodically. And so when I would sit and do these things, um, I wasn't trying to pre-plan a tune. I really just let it flow. I just went with it. But I guess after so many years, you'd sort of sort of instinctively hear things and. And so I would just go ahead and, um, you know, just put in the fills and wherever I felt they should go. And lo and behold, they they wrote amazing things around it. Yeah. Do, do you think that because you're you're from your, your background is jazz and in many ways that kind of unlike sort of like straight ahead rock drumming, mm-hmm. jazz drumming is more lyrical. It, there's more melody yeah. in, in the playing, isn't there? I, I'd agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think because my very first drum set lessons were with a, a friend of one of my brothers who had chosen to play jazz at the, when I was growing up with soul music. Okay, so it was like the early Motown, early James Brown. Those were the cover songs we played, which was a very great foundation to have, by the yeah, way. It certainly is. But, but the very first drum set lessons it was all dealing with jazz. Um, he would teach me by we'd put on a he'd put on a record, and teach him how to play along with it. Uh, you know, accent the cymbal here a bit when you do it, and taught me how to trade solos, count fours as we called it, you know, trade four bar solos. He taught me a very valuable thing, which was make sure you know when you want to play along with this thing, listen a few times and learn the melody. So while it's going on. Like keep the melody in your head and you'll hear where the solos are going. You won't get lost and confused when they're soloing, which was a very valuable lesson. And it and it did probably start me thinking more melodically and, and being tuned into melodies in that. You know. And also your your son, he plays guitar on the album, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, on three, he's on three of the tracks, yeah. He's an su- absolutely superb player. Um, he's yeah, he, on, on the opening track, isn't he? Wake Up Call. Yes, yes, that's him. <laughs> he's all, he's also a superb keyboard, bass, and drummer. All oh, right, <laughs> uh, okay. So he he plays them all equally as well, which is had I had to be in school with him, I probably would have been very jealous of him actually. 
Is he yeah, the, he, sorry, had, the other the other guitar players were were part of that band that we had originally, Caleb Quay, which you may know his name from the early Elton Jays. Yeah. And uh, and a uh, guitarist named Ronnie Van who did quite a lot of Motown uh, work and session work and stuff. And um uh, the saxophone player who was in that band originally uh, for some health issues wasn't, wasn't available, but uh, there's a wonderful saxophone saxophonist here in Nashville, Jeff Coffin, who plays in Dave Matthews' band. He uh, he was gracious to do some stuff for me. And a young lady named Sheila Gonzalez, who plays in Dweezil Zappa's band. <laughs> you know, wow. She, uh, she was a friend of, of Pee Wee and Michiko and she offered, you know, they asked her about uh, adding some horns on on the sort of bluesy one. And the guy who mixed the tracks, who was actually the, you know, mix the, because we all sent in our tracks and he actually did the mix, a guy named Brendan Harkin, he actually played guitar on um, Smack'em, which is the sort of drum solos in that. Yeah. Yes, Smack'em's one of my, uh, another one of my favorite tracks, actually. That's, mm-hmm. as you say, that's got some stunning bass and drums into play <laughs> isn't it it really got a, such a a great groove so with that one did you when you send that one over was there an idea that what you were playing there would be like a a little spotlight on your playing yeah they had been really pushing me it's like man there's no drum solos on here it's like <laughs> well i'm not trying to you know make a drum record i just you know yeah and they said no you got to play some solos man so with that one yeah i did kind of have in mind to just have some sections where i'd just go for it not having any idea what they would put around it <laughs> again you know but yeah that one i did and did intend to go for it a bit yeah <laughs> So were you? So you were all doing this remotely. Was was anybody together? I mean, forget. Was your son with you when he did the guitar parts or no, anything? No, nope. not at all. Not no at one all. at all. Only P and Wee and Michigo were together in their studio in L.A. Wow. But everybody else, uh, everybody else's parts happened remotely. And then I used a really, really wonderful percussionist, a guy named Walt, Walter Rodriguez, who um, was with them out there, but has since moved to Nashville. <laughs> so it's like. Yeah, we haven't actually played together again, but we, you know, we we do get together sometimes, and I've gotten to know him. Wonderful player. Yeah, because yeah, I think this, I think it's amazing. It's one of the, I guess, it's one of the the positives in the way that technology has changed the way music yes. is produced yes. and listened to is the fact that musicians can literally create wonderful music like you have without actually getting on an airplane or or going to stay in expensive hotels. You know why? Why they do <laughs> that's this? That's true. That's true. You know yeah, that that part. Yeah, that that is the great thing about the technology. There, obviously, there's some other things that are maybe not so great about it. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's a wonderful. It was wonderful to be able to do that, and um, you know, and really, there's even technology now which I, I didn't use any of it. But there's actually technology where you can do that live now, well, from different countries and whatever. Yeah. Um, my room, I tend to, I'm using, my computer is running on Wi-Fi, but so you'd have to be plugged in directly to the source. Yeah, Ethernet um, cable. So yeah. if, if, if people on each end are plugged in directly, not Wi-Fi, they can actually uh, play in real time and hear each other in real time. Wow. I don't think, I don't know if you can play together. I think it's mm-hmm. more thing where the producer could hear it in real time and make and make his notes immediately. Uh, I don't know. I think there'd still be a bit of a time lag if you were trying to 
play, actually yeah. play together. I, I'm not sure how that would work, but yeah. Because again, just before we leave this part, what I, again, it's fascinating to me because I, I'm so used to talking to people or even myself because I play guitar that you oh, okay. would you you Maybe like the melody. <laughs> thank you that you write the melody on the guitar and then you imagine the bass and drums coming on they listen and they mm -hmm. whatever but for you to mm -hmm. send over a just the bare drum track mm -hmm. how then the musicians laid connected to that to that and created a piece of music it, it's quite it is amazing and i think that's what i want everyone to kind of really think about that this is from mm -hmm. a drum track and then melodies mm -hmm. are formed from that literally pure because mm -hmm. when you were playing it down, you weren't thinking, oh, this will probably be one of the key melodies in the song here, or this will be the, you. Right. You exactly. didn't know that was going to happen. Exactly. Yes. Well, I, I, uh, I've studied a bit over the years, and one of the one of my favorite classes was a composition class uh, uh -huh. when I was living in L.A. And the teacher would always insist. He says his thing was that rhythm dictates melody, melody dictates harmony. So even when I write myself, I start with a, I'll either lay down a drum track or I'll program something just as a starting point, because, you know, each rhythm is going to inspire a different melody. If I, if I played a melody, a rhythm like, um, that's going to be a very different melody than if I'm playing. Okay, so from that perspective, it totally made sense to me to, to, to do it that way. In, it, very interesting. Were you were you very much uh, kind of aware or influenced by the pe people like Billy Cobham and Alphonse Muzon and all these people? Oh, of course. Yeah, Billy Cobham especially. I mean, I, I think I think that whole generation, all of us were, were influenced best definitely by. Well, he prefers Bill Cobham, but yeah, uh, marketing just insists on calling him Billy. But <laughs> but yeah, it's um he was a major influence. In fact, the first time I heard Mahavishnu, it totally wrecked me. It was like, what in the world, you know? Um, but we've gotten to be friends over the years, and you know, really, really nice guy, actually. I mean, it, it's frightening because he's he's pretty modest about his playing, but when he sits down, it's like, oh my goodness. But yeah, the early influences were Art Blakey. Max Roach was the very first influence. He's probably the first one I heard and, and tried to <laughs> make a feeble attempt to play like. But yeah, so. But yeah, Billy would have been one of the later uh, influences with the more the contemporary stuff of the time because traditional jazz would have been oh, Max Roach, Art Blakey, Elvin Jones, which had this amazing rhythmic thing that he did, which uh, that changed everything for me. It brought a, it made me realize you don't have to play it like everybody else, you know. Um, so yeah, those those were the main things. But as far as contemporary drummers, Billy would have been the biggest influence, yeah. And especially, I guess, with albums like Spectrum, um, which kind of exactly, yeah, changed changed so many things, really. Um, especially mm -hmm. as you say that your record label has got the word progressive in it. Um, you were kind of the kind of jazz fusion, jazz rock era was very to my ears aligned to progressive rock. It was complex. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Whereas but people the, the, tend to the, see it as different things, but it was very similar, wasn't it, in some ways? So when they were asking, well, what style of music is this? I mean, I really honestly feel like it should be called prog funk or progressive funk because there's like the feel of it is very important for us and that's what we do. 
but it's not your typical sort of song structure by any means. It was, I thought the songs were a bit more adventurous than the stuff you would typically call funk. So the late, you know, the, what I wanted to have it listed as, which doesn't seem to exist yet, is that category of prog funk. Because there are other things that would fit that as well, you know. Yeah, um, and that, that I think that's a that's a really good point because that's where I guess Billy Cobham went later in his career, wasn't it? He went more funky. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be the same old groove forever and ever. And, you know, um, I mean, and then, then when the jazz fusion thing started, fortunately, I was got in pretty early in, in that that world. I guess that's pretty much what I grew up with, actually, because of the jazz influences and playing it early, but growing up playing uh, the, the soul music as well. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of... Um, yeah, it, it's this blend because, like, say, Herbie Hancock, some of the things he did, you'd have these incredible soloists and chord structures and stuff, but the grooves were just amazing, you know, just these really solid, funky grooves, you know. So your your time in Frank Zappa must have been an incredibly, incredibly <laughs> education because that was that music is also when you take the lift of the bonnet is jazz yes, orientated, yes. isn't it? Best school I ever went to. <laughs> that that's the way I look at it. I mean, yeah. man, the education I got playing with that guy was amazing, man. Um, yeah, he he, yeah. I mean, can't say enough great stuff about him. He was you know, he was certainly quirky, obviously, as we all know. But when it came to putting his music together, man, the guy was. The, the, we would, it was my first introduction to forty hour a week rehearsals. You know, wow. And, um, you know, we'd we had one hour for lunch and no time wasted. I mean, we would work, you know, so eight hours a day, five days a week. And you came out of it able to do things. I came out of it able to do things I never imagined I'd be able to do because, I mean, I think everybody in that band, maybe even including George Duke, uh, we were challenged at some point. You'd be challenged with something where I've got to go practice this. I've, I've not had to do this before. And, and <laughs> And the unspoken rule of the band was that it's okay if you can't play it the first day, but nobody couldn't play it the next day. <laughs> it was so, didn't get a lot of sleep that first month, that's for sure. Wow. But um, but, though, but that discipline, that learning to play things and, and break down things the way he did it, it's definitely stuck with me and carried through. So between him and I think my other really major influence of people I've worked with would have been Joe Zavano with the Weather Report. Yeah. Because he... I mean, he grew up in Vienna with all the classical music, but he got into jazz at a very early age. And uh, but his own music, it's it's almost like a folk music, but you can't really determine which exactly from which country or which culture. And that that really sticks out to me as well. You know, uh, heavy on the rhythms, but um, in in some cases, very very sophisticated harmonies as well. But but that blend of that, you know, I guess being in Weather Report and, and Zappa, that, I think those two bands have really been the major influences in my own, you know, what I want to do, you know. The super, I mean, there's some superb records like Bongo Fury, isn't there? And obviously from the Zappa, there's so many. But obviously mm -hmm. Black Market by Weather Report is is one mm -hmm. of my favourite albums by them, and specifically the track Gibraltar, um, which oh, is on there, mm -hmm. which is just wonderful. What I mean... You were only there for that one album, but they obviously really... Well, I, I, I had toured for a year prior to that album. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, we, the band was very tight by then, yes. So, you're, so you, do you have very fond memories of that of that time? I mean... It, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. My favorite, tour, the last tour I did with him, which is where Phil came to one of the concerts and, and heard me play live. Uh, the last tour I ended up doing, we did, we toured Europe and we did it all on trains, no flights. We did the whole tour and oh man, it was magical. <laughs> it was really, really amazing, you know. So we had the first class compartment with the little table and the three seats facing each other, just like the movies, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So the conversations and the, the, the music and, you know, it, it was a pretty magical time for me, yeah. Well, um, the next thing I'm, I'm, I've really, this is a great honor to be able to ask you this question because you've gone through like Frank Zappa, you've listened to all this jazz and obviously Weather Report, and then Phil Collins has seen you in Weather Report, mm-hmm. and he's now come from behind the drum stall to become the singer in Genesis, mm-hmm. and he asks you to help out for Genesis Live. Now, Genesis were at this time were having like pop singles in the charts. Their music no, was not, very... not when I started. Oh, no, no, when no, I started, oh, really? it, was, there was... it was all prog. When I started, oh, it was all prog. Because I just I think if there was a single that might have been, I know what I like, and yeah. maybe Carpet Crawl, but yeah. everything else was all prog. Oh, was right. Okay. My first introduction, introduction to that world of prog. So, you, and, so uh, was it an easy, you didn't have to culturally think differently? You just. Oh, absolutely, I did. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely did. That was the biggest cultural adjustment I'd ever had to make because the music, okay, um, I look at it as before drum machines, okay? Um, every country, every uh, local band had its own identity. Mm-hmm. I think when the drum machine came along, we everybody was using some of the same rhythms that were pre-programmed or whatever, and everything started getting very homogenized. Everything started just becoming this variation of this one thing where, you know, so many people are doing. But no, in those days, um, for me, the the adjustment. <laughs> so the, the you know, uh, one of the simplest songs, Afterglow, uh, uh, people find it amazing. That was the most difficult transition for me. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's become a joke now. But so basically, every time I would play it, Phil was like, "No, that's not quite the right feel." And it's like one day I finally asked him, "So, Phil." what are you feeling? What are you thinking when you do this? And he, he says, well, it's like walking, you know, boom, bah, boom. Bah. <laughs> and for me, it's like, I didn't say it, but it clicked in my head. It's like, oh, that's why I can't feel it. I, when I, where I grew up, we didn't walk like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, so and I guess musically, I had to take the swagger out of some of what I did. I had to take the funk out and make it really straight and linear, you know? Yeah. And over the years, I think we met in the middle. He got a bit funkier and I learned how to play straighter and all that. But, um, but yeah, that, that was so, and then, you know, the first two weeks on tour with them were the craziest, almost one of the loneliest times of my life, because after the shows, we'd all be in one room together. Everybody's hanging out and talking in somebody's hotel room. And we're supposed to be speaking the same language, but I could not follow a single conversation with them all talking together. One on one, I was fine. Yeah. But we had people from the north, people from, you know, both sides of the Thames. Uh, we had, you know, we had the, the charter, you know, the public school boys. You know, yes, we had yes. all of that. Yeah. And the uh, man, those accents and, and just I, it was crazy. It was really difficult for me to, to really stay tuned into what everybody was and everybody and the English tend to speak a lot faster than we do over in America. Yes. Yes. I I guess we do. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I I had to, it it wasn't a, it was a a big change on more than just musical levels, you know? (laughs) 
Well, Seconds Out is one of the best live double albums from the mm. era, without doubt. Um, and mm. I know many of my uh, listeners and readers love that album. Mm. And one of my, the highlights for me personally is is Los Endos. You know, uh, when, mm-hmm. you know that which is which is a tour de force for for yourself and Phil. Was was mm. that something that you yourself enjoyed playing that as as well? Was it? Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, that, that was, and the, the feeling of, because I'd done double drumming with, with Zappa as well. And when it really locks in, it's a really powerful sound. Um, and with Phil, Phil and I would lock in pretty easily. I mean, from the very first day, we just sat down and started jamming and it immediately locked in. You know, it just, it was just very easy to play with him. I mean, there were parts I had to learn for the songs, of course, but, and so when we would do the duets and all of that, I mean, that, that those built over the years, but um, yeah, there were there were those times like Los Endos being one of them, where the, the two drum sets together live with this really powerful, you know, moment in the song. Um, yeah, it, it uh, th- those are the times. I mean, I, those two, you know, everybody expects me to. <laughs> so many times I've done something, and people want and uh, can our friend come in and play drums because we want to do the double drum. They don't realize how many hours of practice we did to get it to that point. I mean, yeah, we naturally felt things the same way, but but Gen, by, after the first tour with Genesis, uh, after that, they got into the whole 40-hour-a-week rehearsal thing as well. So we would literally spend eight hours a day, five days a week, and really fine-tune those parts. I mean, him and I would really play together, to, and it got to the point where it, it felt very natural, and it was, but people weren't, I don't think people really realize i don't think people in general realize how much work goes into preparing a tour you know with a yeah. really tight band they, they probably don't also realize of course that f- although phil collins was singing out front uh, and you were playing the drums that he he also had a very keen interest in jazz didn't he, he had his he had brand oh, x he had brand yeah, x we, which was jazz fusion right well as we talked we listened to the same people growing up. He listened to all the same uh, jazz, you know, uh, drummers and stuff that I did as well. Both of our favorites being Tony Williams, you know. Yeah, great. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess he had the, the 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 other side of it was that he also listened to the Who and, and Zeppelin and, and Beatles and all that. I was listening more to um, James Brown and you know, all that side of things. But what we had in common was was the the really studying the jazz players of of the day, you know. Fantastic, and I know you played, you continued um, playing with Phil when he went solo as well. But uh, Mm -hmm. one, the other album I'd just like to touch on because it's one of my favourites is Beyond Appearance by Santana from nineteen eighty five. Oh wow! Okay. Because that that to me feels like it brought it brings in all the things you were doing from Genesis, but with all the, but had lots of funk and the, and the jazz stuff mm. from the seventies as well. Was that an album that you enjoyed playing on? I did. I haven't heard it in ages. I need to go back and take yeah, another it, it look. Sounds, at it. it sounds wonderful. Wow! I need to go back and hear it again. I mean, for me, the the, the crazy part was the keyboard player, who's also Chester Thompson. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he he was the original organist for Tower of Power and wrote you know wrote some of their their, their yeah. hits in there. and and uh, we we became really good friends. We hung out all the time and you know it was it was just crazy because first time in the studio the the uh, engineer would say we need to get sounds okay Chester play so we'd both start playing he says no no Chester Thompson and it's like we'd still yeah. carry on 
But so then it got to be okay, Chester drums and Chester keys. Okay. <laughs> and again, with him, it's like we grew up, I grew up playing with lots of old jazz organ players, which is what he grew up doing, you know, being a jazz organ player. And, and so that was a very easy lock as well, you know, playing, playing with him just. And well, of course, Alfonso Johnson, who also we also played together in Weather Report, and um, yeah. yeah, so that you know those that, that was an amazing time. I mean, with the three percussionists, oh man, that was that was wonderful, you know. Yeah, well, you go back and listen to it because it sounds it sounds wonderful. Um, oh, I will actually now that you say yeah. that because I've, I've not heard it in years. Wow. Well, because I, I I played it. Um, while I was researching this, I played it after listening to Wake Up Call, and um, okay. it just and and of course okay. I've been dipping in and out of your back catalogue with the albums I've got around me, and it just it just it's part it's part of it. So my kind of one of my last okay. questions is, all of these things that you've done and this new album Wake Up Call, do you feel that those those influences of of a part of your, the new recording in some way, part of your musical personality now? Oh, probably, well, probably so, yeah. I mean, I, I think everything you do, especially if you're allowed to create, it, it's going to be, you know, those things are going to have a chance to come out. Whereas if I'm playing the script, you know, for and like, you know, if I'm, I've got a specific part to play, there'll be more of me trying to do that. Obviously, there'll be some of what I have and feel, obviously, that'll show up. But not in the same way that if I'm given free reign, you know, to to just go for it, then then those influences have a you know, have a place to to present themselves, I guess. Yeah. yeah. One of the one of the things about your new album, I mean, it is it is jazz, as you say, it's kind of like funk prog, or um, what, mm-hmm. is it so up? It's so joyous. There's you know, it's, there's no <laughs> words, but it's very uplifting. You know, and we kind of in these dark times that we find ourselves in, it's kind of and and how it was born out of the the lockdown and COVID, it's very, it's very mm-hmm. kind of positive well, music. I'm going to change the light a bit because the light's changing outside. It's getting a bit darker on this, and hopefully I don't mess it up. Is that going to work? Okay, great, great. Okay. Um. <laughs> all right. So, um, if I if if I can go there, um, so the the underlying the other underlying theme of this album. So during, when that band was formed, my wife and I had just become Christian. She was the singer in that band, by the way. And so one by one, people in the band became Christians as well. And especially, and Caleb Quay especially, his was a very radical conversion uh, because by the time I met him, he had some pretty rough things happen in his life. I mean, you know, obviously we know his history and, and the, the contributions with Elton and all of that. But... Uh, in later years, he went through a pretty bitter, bitter divorce, and I'll glance gloss over this very quickly. Apparently, his manager got involved with his wife and stole a bunch of money from him and stuff. And he was he was hurting; he was in a lot of pain. And um, brilliant player and all that. Him and I got to be really close friends. And one day, just sort of teased him. It's like, well, hey, man, it's Easter. You got to go to church with us. You know, it's, come on, you got to go on Easter. It's like, he says, ah, okay, I'll go. You know, And boy, it's like he, uh, I guess he responded to what we call an altar call and never, ever looked back. I mean, the guy just caught fire and all that dark cloud lifted, you know. 
And Pee Wee and Michiko, they're like the most joyous people you could ever meet. I mean, we laughed. Oh, my goodness. We laughed all day long in those days. We just it was always just fun and laughter and joy and all of that. And I feel and that kind of came through in this thing. I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because that's kind of where that's kind of where we are. My, I mean, I love to laugh. I mean, it's it's so funny. Um, I didn't get to. <laughs> okay, I'm treading on dangerous territory here. I didn't get to laugh as much with Genesis, except the last tour we did in 2007 that I did with them. It was to me it was the best of all. We laughed every day. All day, every day, we just, it, man, it was amazing. It was so much fun. I look back and I think, okay, by then we've all gotten over ourselves. <laughs> okay, so it's like, you know, we've grown a bit and whatever whatever our issues were back in those days no longer existed. And it was just so much fun. And, um, yeah, and that, I feel like, I definitely feel like that came through on Wake Up Call, that 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 just joy of, of being alive, of just, you know. Well, that's, that's really uh, lovely to hear you say all of that because I think I, th- I really do believe, and I say this a lot to my in a lot of my um, videos, that I really believe that music is the healer and the doctor for, for so many people on Absolutely. such a deep level. Absolutely. And, and this album, because it's easy to say that when a when an album has vocals because you you follow the lyrics. So for an mm-hmm. album to come across as being really joyous, really uplifting, and positive <laughs> without a word being said. Mm-hmm. It means that it's connecting, you know, like, you know, it's transferring to from the musician to the listener in a very, very magical way. And that's what I feel this album does. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Well, it's it's funny. I'm reminded. Uh, I cannot remember who said it originally. Very famous, uh, you know, a person who was a Christian teacher. And what was said is. Everyone should always preach. And if you have to use words, <laughs> so so the joy and the, the things that you hope come across, you you got to see it, you know. When, but when, like I say, and I I mean I love instrumental music because I am free from having to try to convey lyrically. I'm just I'm Caleb was a real true wordsmith. I mean, man, but he could whip up a lyric so fast it was amazing. Just give him a, just point him in the right direction, and he just becomes a machine. It's it was amazing, you know. I I don't have that gift, <laughs> and but I, I feel like you can convey moods and atmosphere. Well, look at look at symphonic music. Look at yeah, exactly, music. yeah, yeah. I mean, they you you can they can take you on this beautiful like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It's like the most lift uplifting thing, and handles you know uh, Messiah. Yeah. It's like those things just lift you, but they some things can be so dark they just. It's like when I play with Weather Report, they never talked musical terms in describing how they wanted me to play a song. I remember the first conversation with Wayne Shorter, one of one of the songs he had written. He looked at me and he says, Okay, in this song, picture a caravan going across the desert. That was it. That was my direction. So I, I listened to the song. It's like, oh yeah, I get that. Okay, sure. And I I, you know, it brought out a response in me that I don't know if I would have gotten to otherwise, you know. That, that yeah, that's amazing because it, I, I recently interviewed Steve Hackett, and he oh, described okay. his new album as a movie for the ears. <coughs> mm-hmm. And that's a that's similar a thing, isn't it? Because it's like if you're in a if you're in a, <clears throat> your house and it's really dark and rainy outside, and it's Absolutely. if you put some whatever you put on musically will change the atmosphere of that room. 
and right. that's what Absolutely. and your album you know i mean where i'm in the uk we're in the dead of winter um it just <laughs> it just turns the sun on <laughs> oh wow well, wow thank you yep i've spent many a winter in england so i get it <laughs> So the new album, uh, it's out now and it's on CD and vinyl and you can get yes. it from chesterthompson.bandcamp.com. Is that where you would like people to go? Yes, yeah, that would be the main place. Um, as far as something you can have in your hand, absolutely. And the downloads, of course. I mean, it'll be on all the, the usual places as far as uh, downloading and streaming. Of course. But but actually... Buy one. Me, but yeah, to actually have the you know, physical thing in your hand, yes. Yeah, that's because I, that's I still I've yeah. still got a ton of CDs and I'm and I've got vinyl. I've got a, just bought a new cartridge and things sound amazing. You know, so it's uh, well by buying by having the physical item in your in your hands, mm-hmm. you are closer to the artist and the creative process that brought it to you. And I think it's mm-hmm. part it's it's an important part of the story. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, yes, you can stream it, but I think if you listen to the album, you've got the whole story the whole flavors of, you know, of all the tracks together. So, yeah, it's a great album, everybody, and and it's well worth listening to stream it first, but then go to chesterthompson.bandcamp.com to get to get a copy. Are you are you got any, I suppose, because you recorded it remotely, This it's going to be very difficult, if at all possible, to do anything live with this album? Oh, we, we definitely intend to, we Ooh. really want to do it live. Um the Pee-wee and Michiko, the main my main cohorts in this, they tend they're they are their daughters' band. Um, oh yeah. When when the kids were all younger, Michiko taught a lot of the musicians' kids piano lessons, including my son. And Judith was a few years behind them, so she'd be this little kid sort of tagging along, and she's turned into this monster performer. Beautiful keyboard guitars, and and her vocals are just crazy. Um, they tour with her a lot. Uh, I just did a tour with Unitopia, and we every, almost every place we played in Europe, there were posters announcing Judith was coming or had just been there or whatever. And um, yeah, so they they uh, been, you know her career has been really growing, and they've been really you know sort of supporting her. And so we're trying to find the time. Uh, the other thing, because Michiko overdubbed several keyboard parts. I mean, you know. So there'd have to be at least another keyboard, uh, probably a couple of guitars, <laughs> at least one, preferably two saxophones. <laughs> but you know, so you know, we're 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 working on it. You know, hope hopefully we'll be able to, to, to get get it set up and announced and, and go for it. You know. Well, that's fantastic, Chester, and, and thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Um, it's a wonderful album, and it's been great, great um, being able to talk to you like this. So, well, thank you, Phil. This is, this has been a really pleasure to speak with you, man. And again, I'm meeting you know some really great people I hadn't met before in England. I'm really looking forward to us uh, getting to sit together over over a cuppa. You know, <laughs> that'd be great. Well, take care, and hopefully, we'll, we'll talk again in the future. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. A huge thank you to my guest, Chester Thompson, for joining me today. That was a wonderful interview. And Wave Cook Call is such a joyous, positive album of music. It's all instrumental music, but it literally is like a soundtrack for your ears. It really just, as I said in the interview, it feels like to me, it just turns the sun on. It's just a really wonderful music and prog funk is what Chester called it. And 
which is a term that actually should exist anyway, which so much of jazz rock and jazz fusion kind of went in that direction. But there's some great albums to listen to from Chester's um, back catalogue. Um, Bongo Fury by Frank Zappa is, is a is a wonderful album. Um, there's stuff with Steve Hackett as well with uh, Please Don't Touch, Black Market, and listen to Gibraltar from that. It's absolutely superb. And, of course, Seconds Out um, by Genesis, one of the best live double albums ever. And Beyond Appearances by Santana is another wonderful album to dip into. But Wake Up Call is amazing. And to to hear how it was put together remotely, um, being driven by the drum tracks first, absolutely superb stuff. So... Make sure you go in to chesterthompson.pancamp to get a copy. Remember, support music by buying a physical album. You can get the CD or vinyl. But thank you so much for being here and listening and watching. Please subscribe um, to all of our future podcasts. Visit the Nasbini Magazine website at nasbini.co.uk. We're on Twitter, X, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and everywhere else. And of course, we've got our own private community as well for collectors to talk to each other and share music ideas. So remember, music is the healer and the doctor. Please take care, everyone. Keep spinning those discs and I shall see you on my next episode.